I'm Chris Runge, and this is Study Hall. Welcome to Study Hall, a podcast dedicated to getting a little bit smarter about advertising. So I had the pleasure of hosting my old friend and creative partner, Michael Leopold, on the podcast this month. Here are some highlights. All agency people, they all generally tend to come from the same kind of world. That, And you go from place to agency to agency to agency, and you stay in the cycle of repetition. But, like, once I switch sides to become, like, in the PR world, it really opens up. Like, we have people here from the corporate world. We have people from, obviously, the ad world, a bunch of people in the creative department from Leo Burnett. We got people from government, um, you know, people who came from the um, Obama administration, like a real mix. I saw PR and Edelman as the future. For me, not and, and not just for me, as where the industry is going. I think how we define creative is probably different now than how it might have been defined 5, 10, 20 years ago. Um, creative is like <clears throat> how you're coming at a problem and not necessarily the output of that problem. We do... Um, we do find ourselves sometimes in these situations where we get to see the work from agencies, and I see lots of PR, I think PR in quotes, ideas on there, like, how can this come to life? And you see kind of activations, you go, hey, they're coming at it from the other way, and we're coming at it from this way, and at one point we're all going to just bust heads in the middle and have a rumble and, and you know, figure out who's, who's the winner. Michael and I first met in the creative department of a prominent Manhattan healthcare ad shop, and we immediately hit it off. We were partners, Michael as the art director and me as the copywriter, for many years, and we worked with and for each other in various roles for decades. Three years ago, I was floored when Michael told me he was moving to Chicago to take a job with a PR agency. I just didn't get it. And I even, in my darkest moments, wondered if my old buddy was committing some kind of career suicide. Well, that was before I read Frenemies, and now the scales have fallen from my eyes. My old friend had seen the way the industry was moving, and now his move looks pretty brilliant. So he's on the show to talk about what it's like working in an adjacent industry, how the transition feels, and the opportunities cropping up in whatever the ad business is becoming. So who is Michael Leopold? Well, he's got 35 years of experience in the ad industry, and he's out in Chicago working with Edelman, focused exclusively on building out their healthcare practice. But just remember, he's on the podcast as a civilian, and his remarks don't reflect the opinions, beliefs, or policies of his employer. Michael's won the Odd Award in his career, too. Recently, he won three MM&M Awards, along with a Shorty Award for Synergy's Confront Constipation Campaign and a Gold Saber for Logic's Yes Means Test Campaign. During his career, he's also won numerous other creative awards, including four RX Awards, a Doctor's Choice Award, a Gold Creativity Award, the Best PSA at the Moondance Film Festival, and the Grand Prix Award at the Deauville Green Film Festival. Michael was on the way to becoming a physician like his father and brother when he chose advertising. He studied pre-med in addition to fine arts, receiving his B.A. from Franklin and Marshall College, and he also pursued postgraduate work at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And with that, here's the interview. Enjoy. Let's start it off like this. So you headed out to work in Chicago. Um, what went into that decision? How did you make the decision finally to do that? Well, obviously there's a lot of personal, you know, decision involved with that. You know, living in New York for 31 years was tough to leave that. Um, yeah. But in terms of like the decision from a um, career perspective, um, I don't think it was such a huge leap for me to come out here. 
Um, it's a totally different, you know, industry, PR, although it's related, but just in terms of like the next step in my career, it felt like a next, uh, you know, a, a newer progression, something exciting, something, you know, kind of like I didn't know much about a bit of a black box for me. So black boxes are always a bit, you know, a bit of exciting for me. Um, cause I never liked doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I felt like what I was doing, you know, back in New York was, um, different places, same stuff. Um, so yep. I've kind of, I like to come at things new and fresh and have new experiences. And so this seemed like a new, fresh start for me. Um, and really something to sink my teeth into. How did the conversation start? So an email arrived to my wife, who also works in the industry, asking if we were interested in coming to Chicago, that a, a couple of positions were opened up at Edelman and uh, would be interested in that. She mentioned what the positions were. This is an old friend of my wife's from way back when she grew up, who worked in the industry for a long time. She was a production manager here. Um, and so I'd been looking to move. Wasn't sure where. I'd looked into Austin, North Carolina, places like that. Chicago seemed like a natural because we had family out here. And that creative director position was open in healthcare. It seemed like an interesting fit. Um, and so that's how it arrived. Um, then conversations started with uh, the talent recruiter. Um, phone calls, whatnot, you know, talking about the position, talking about the agency, talking about my experience. Um, those sorts of things, and whether those things aligned up and with what I was looking for and what they were looking for, and then of course eventually, you know, bringing me out out there, which is here. Um, so, what was the conversation like while you guys were trying to figure out uh, if it was a fit? I mean, what were they interested in you for, and what were you interested in them for? So, they were very much interested in someone who knew about health and um, had a, a lot of experience in the health space. So they have a, and had a large um, growth in the health, in the creative department here. Um, and they had finally had a position open up because none, none of the creative people really were health experienced. It's a special niche, you know, industry, and it's pretty particular. Um, consumer yeah. people, it takes a long time to get, you know, up to speed and whatnot. And they wanted to, someone to come in and do the business and get up to speed and understand about, mm -hmm. you know, the regulatory environment and, and all that stuff that goes along with healthcare. So um, they were looking for that. Um, and I'd less so about someone who's, like, been in PR. Like, they weren't looking for a health PR person because that was like a neon haystack. Um, so they're more interested in health angle. Uh, and someone who had done other things besides just, you know, a bunch of print ads and collateral materials, someone who had some, right. you know, some video experience and, you know, TV experience and doing other things um, beyond just, you know, traditional health marketing. What about the design side of things? Do you find that there was a lot of conversation around that? I mean, were they really interested in your book or were they sort of more interested in your – it sounds like they were more interested in, in sort of industry experience. They were interested in the industry experience. I think that um, they could probably have found that, um, only mm -hmm. that if they were looking for that. Um, mm -hmm. But they were looking for someone with industry experience who also came with, you know, pat on the back, a little bit of talent, or a lot of bit of talent oh. uh, along with that. Because right. they had been on this search, from my understanding, for about a year before they started wow. looking out, outside to, you know, other, other cities. So, um and so they, you know, that, that's sort of how it, how it came about. But, you know, I have, you know, a 
diverse experience I come with, and and uh, mm-hmm. and I you yeah, know, and you you weren't solid. only a healthcare guy. You you used to work in you you're you have consumer chops from back in the day, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I worked together on Ben Gay, which was health slash consumer, but I also had a bit more B two B experience, um, mm-hmm. and a little bit of consumer work in there. You know, came from a lot of design. I was really into typography and and whatnot. So I have a, a pretty yeah. You're always good... going on about typography. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very particular about my type. What were your first impressions of a PR firm? I mean, what were you? What's it like going to work at a PR firm? After, after you're specifically your talking about like when I took the job, or are you talking about like when yeah, I exactly, yeah, when you or? when you when you took the job, okay. when you took the job, um, or you want to, actually you want to talk about the interview? I mean, what was the interview like? How is it? How is it similar to or different than a advertising agency? It's different. They're re- they were really looking for someone who's more entrepreneurial, um, and that was said uh-huh. specifically. Not looking to someone to sit around and execute a bunch of you know ads or PR PR you know activations or things like that. Like looking for someone who can help build a business, um, uh-huh. help the agency um, build out the healthcare um, practice. Um, so much more interested in that. Uh, it was an interesting interview with some you know like I met with you know the executive creative director. Not asking specific book questions, just like a conversation, really casual, um, really good guy. Um, and then I had like a round robin of interviews with a, a bunch of PR folks uh, out here. The GM of the health department uh, met with him, super energetic, uh-huh. um, a lot of energy. You could just seem like someone you want to work with, um, and a lot of passion for the business. And then a bunch of um, PR generalists who were out here and mm-hmm. been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are not here anymore. Um, yep. Some are. Yeah. What did you guys find to talk about? I mean, I, I, they, I don't imagine it was like a traditional book review. No, like, nobody even brought my book out. I think, you know, for the PR generals, they assumed I had the creative chops. And that's why I was right brought on. out here. Um, and, you know, when I'm, I'm, I sent my book originally and I sent it, and uh, it was pretty much a quick turnaround, like, let's have a conversation, that kind of thing. So yeah. I assume that, you know, it had some uptake in terms of the community creative chops that I showed. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just an well, interesting conversation. Different people have different perspectives. I mean, I met, met mm-hmm. with people who, uh, who had been here for like 20 years, like who stays at a place for 20 years and gets a gold watch anymore. So yeah, that, that was exactly. different to me. Like, you know, agency mm-hmm. was like, you're, you're lucky if you're there five years. Um, but to meet with Very people lucky. that's been here like 20 years is kind of crazy. So I thought like, whoa, this is interesting. I've never been in a place that kind of like had, you know, had the longevity of that. So it's definitely, a, you know, definitely a bit different business model. So You said entrepreneurial, and I think I know what you mean. But entrepreneurial, as you know, is a buzzword now. So what, what, just say a little bit more about what you mean, what you personally mean by entrepreneurial. I think what, it's what like mean? not someone who comes out who's like looking to just sit around and get orders and do them. It's yep. someone to get involved, to put their head forward, to stick their head into offices, to kind of like meet with clients and figure out what their business needs are and try and solve those business needs, ask lots of questions, that kind of thing. Like, you know, create mm-hmm. books of business. Um, it's different in PR than, you know, advertising. You know, ads, you kind of get like the big scope of work and big budgets and whatnot. PR is different. There's not, not a lot of AOR accounts necessarily in PR. It's less so, even less yeah. so in advertising. With the AOR, I was going to say, there's a there's aren't too many AOR accounts in advertising anymore. No, 
it's it's sort of exactly it's sort of dying. But at the time when I came yeah. out, which is not that long ago, three years ago, there were still AOR yeah. accounts. That shows you how quickly the business moved. So, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that. Actually, not to digress, but that's you know, reading Frenemies was a real eye opener. I mean, they spent all their time talking about Martin Sorrell and uh, Les Moonves, and of course, yeah. yeah. Those Who? Punchlines now. Anyway, right. So, but yes. That's that's interesting. I want to get to that in a, actually. Let's let's talk about that now because um, I think that is really interesting because so much of of the business now, our business too, is not AOR business. It's it's what used to be called project work, but it's not the. I don't know. If it, to me, it feels a lot more. I, tell me if you agree or not. But it feels a lot more like. There's project work, but the project work doesn't have an upper limit like it used to have. Like, there used to be project houses, and they never played in the agency space. And there were agencies, and they kind of, they, they, they'd love to do projects, but they couldn't really compete on price. Right. Now it feels like projects are, you know, all anybody does. I mean, we do, we'll call it project work, so to speak, but like, you're talking about an upper limit of a project work could be, you know... Multi-million dollar, you know, campaign for something, or you know, right, yeah, um, right. You know, we don't do like, hey, we'll do a piece of collateral for you. We're looking for the strategic, and clients come to us looking for strategic thinking. That's the biggest offering we uh-huh. have. To help guide uh-huh. businesses to be basically be consultants for them in some sense, um, and mm-hmm. more, more so, you know, competing with you know other consultancies and whatnot. So we, that's how generally positioning um, Edelman. Mm-hmm. We certainly are, you know, it's hard to just be a project shop and not invest yourself in the business because then, you, like, how long-term is that? If you do a project, like, how do you really know everything there is to know where the direction the business is yeah, going, exactly. you know, exactly. um, strategically, you know, uh, aligning yourself and understanding the strategy behind where they're going? Because if it's a project, mm-hmm. it just seems like a one-off and, well, you know, right. you're not necessarily invested in that. So that's a challenge. Let's just go back to entrepreneurial for a second. So do you find, not to get too much into the business model, but do you find that having that, I'll just say like a, an activist approach to your business rather than entrepreneurial, but I, you see what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Do you fi- How do you find that sort of plays into your relationship with your clients? I think they're looking for activists in their businesses. They are looking for someone to help guide them. Um, you know, we have a client now who um, had a launch pushback and we came to them on our own to say, look, we got mm-hmm. an extra three or four months with this time. We're going to come at you with a few ideas. And we presented a bunch of ideas to them for what uh-huh. they could do to position themselves for the launch. Um, and the end of the call was, thank you guys for showing this, this work. That's what we are looking for from you guys. Thinking about mm-hmm. our business, coming to us with ideas about how we can move and, and generate business and, and be consultants and be strategic about um, what they are um, trying to achieve, not just order takers, not just like, you know, waiting waiting by our phone for the call to come in to tell us to do this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. I, I find myself thinking about that a lot lately is the, 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 the range of, you know, channels have fragmented dramatically, consumers have fragmented dramatically, and I think what's getting less attention is the fact that is the tools are f- starting to fragment. The, the sort of creative um, 
canvases that you can deploy are fragmenting. And it's, and I think sometimes, you know, taking an agency approach, you end up with, you know, too few tools in the box. And I, sometimes I, I, I wonder what your life must be like out there in Chicago, aside from the excellent weather and the, <laughs> and, the, and the good restaurants, you know, the oh, well, number one restaurant I mean, in GQ a, magazine. Yeah, well, I wanted to get to that into that. Wanted, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long ago that was, but um, probably back to your original. It wasn't really a question. It was sort of a comment, but I can certainly, you know, comment on, mm-hmm. you know, the tools at our disposal. I find that um, I always felt like in healthcare advertising, everyone was so focused around like, what's the ad going to look like? What's the ad going to look like? And when I was working at one agency, I remember thinking like, to the, thinking like, I need to just come into a meeting and be like, who cares what the ad looks like? Nobody's doing advertising anymore. They're all using all these different channels. And I figured to my, thought to myself, well, if I say this, they're probably going to think I'm an idiot and fire me. You know, but I, I think it might've been like, I saw that I could kind of see the future coming. And I see like, I agree. you know, how, and I, and I see how, you know, Edelman's perspective on that is not just like, you know, we're going to do the ad and we're going to do this activation. It's like not even about that at all. That is, mm-hmm. literally had a new business conversation today with a client on the phone and saying, like, we are not interested in, you know, all the tactics and all that other stuff. We know you can do that. Like, what is the overarching platform that you guys are going to build out for us? And then, yeah. of course, we're going to be able to deliver off of that. But that platform that's going to differentiate us and drive people to have conversations and become an industry leader, like, what is that thing that's going to make us different? And, of course, there's a million, you know, channels and things that we can do from paid and earned, social owned and, you know, AI and, you know, um, mm-hmm. talking, you know, things in your house or whatever it might be. There's sure. a million different things. Um but like, what is that like higher level idea that everything comes from? And of course, that's everybody's going for that, right? But like, <clears throat> yeah, that's what they want. It, that's what they crave. They're not coming to us from that for that little thing. They're trying to think bigger. You know. I think everybody says that's what they're coming at. I think I think that that there's a lot of, you know, how this business is. There's a lot of there's a lot of sort of flavor of the month thinking you hear a certain amount of that kind of talk, but I don't know that, I don't know to what degree that's really being, being heard. Cause you know, the, the disruption in the industry is profound and it's not a question of, you know, we have to change the media plan a little bit or we need to, I mean, there's people that, that, that don't, you know, you have to think about it in my, in my opinion, you have to think about it in terms of, well, we have to sort of get, commercial flavored information to people in all kinds of different forms. A lot of forms that don't even look like ads, a lot of forms that aren't even, uh, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this, but a lot of forms that aren't even that creative, you know, they, they have to be in, in the old sense, like you say, like the ads, like an, like a, like a, like, like we, you and I grew up doing together, right? The cover and the spread, like what's the concept? Sure. I I mean, cover and spread. Oh. I couldn't tell you how much was driven by, you know, online stuff, but native ads, I call them ads in quotes, they're like, yeah. not, they're ads, but they're not really ads, right? Content they're just marketing. like images and content that drives people to places, but they're not traditional ads, so. Right. I mean, and, and also the, you said AI a second ago, but I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's going on these days. I, I don't know if I told you this in our personal life or not, but I was in a meeting the other day and, you know, the ads are being written by algorithms. You know, they're, they're internet yeah. advertising, they're search, they're search engine, this is search engine advertising, but it's being written by an algorithm. And, 
Boy, that's a cold wind when you grew up as a copywriter and somebody says, yeah, thanks, we've got a computer writing the copy. I think how we define creative is mm. probably different now than mm. how it might have been defined 5, 10, 20 years ago. Um, creative is like <clears throat> how you're coming at a problem and yep. not necessarily the output of that problem to me. You know, not necessarily what the ad or the, the TV spot or whatever looks like, but like how you're approaching your business and how creatively are you thinking differently about it, you know, mm -hmm. versus like, you know, the content you're pushing out. That's very well so. said. That's very well said. I think that's that's the lead. I'm going to borrow that for my next pitch, by the way. I hope you're cool with that. No, please go ahead. Everyone will know it came from here, all, all 30 people. 30? Oh, my God. I did my eye teeth for 30 people. Um, <laughs> probably more like 10. Anyway, um, so let's this is so let's get back to the day to day because I think I think I have I I in my mind's eye I can see some thirty year old guy sitting in an ad agency listening to this podcast thinking to himself maybe I should send a resume over to an uh, 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 a PR firm or some other adjacent. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the day to day a little bit. What kind of sure. do you work in teams? Like how do the teams work? How are they similar to or different from ad agency teams? Wow. So they've definitely changed in the three years that I've gotten here. This place okay. is fast moving and the models, you know, it's shifting around. But I would say it started out as like very account driven. Like we know mm -hmm. all agencies are account driven. Mm -hmm. um, and clients not necessarily understanding the role of creatives in their business because they're not used to that. They're used to coming here and finding PR generalists. So, but we've shifted pretty rapidly over the th last three years, and we'll continue to shift more to being more um, what you'd consider more um, three-pronged, right? Uh, creative, not necessarily in this order, only because I'm creative, I said it first. Creative. Yeah. No, creative planning, comes first. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, creative, <laughs> let's, let's just be honest about, about it. Among, just amongst you and I. Yeah, just you and me and the three people that are listening to this podcast. Now exactly. they know the truth. We know the truth. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. We are trying to be more focused that way around clients' business so that mm -hmm. it becomes more traditional. So it's not just like this top-led, you know, comes from, account, comes from account, dole it out to creative when they need you, bring in planning when they need you. You know, of course, there's other disciplines you're not going to need all the time, like production and things like that. But, um, but the core team is, I think, moving to more towards uh, that, I would say, the ad model, right? Those mm -hmm. sort of three legs. You know, which I think is a good thing. Um, there's a reason why it's built out that way. Sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel that way. Mm -hmm. With different perspectives, you're able to hear from the strategic perspective, from the audience insight and strategy perspective, and then kind of like how that you know how that comes to life in a creative way, or you know all those sorts mm -hmm. of things that the three different minds and disciplines can, can help shape and mold. What's it like being a creative in a PR firm versus being a creative in an ad shop? And feel like your contributions are valued. How valued are they? What part of the conversation are you in? I think that I, I personally think my contributions valued, but you know, yeah. it, I think it's different on different levels. Uh -huh. You know, um, I'm thinking more strategically than, let's say, an art director or, or a writer might be thinking right. strategically. Right. I try and bring the people that I work with in early enough so they can take part in that conversation rather than just sort of saying, "Hey, there's a project. Help me out with it." Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that that happens. Um, 
but you know I can be as active or inactive in that conversation as I'm choosing, and that comes mm-hmm. back to that kind of quotes entrepreneurial, like mm-hmm. you know how how vested I am in like pursuing that, you know whether I have the time to to sit down and go, hey, what's going on? Let's talk about this X Y Z business, you know. Let's have a conversation about you know where they're going, what do you need from me, how can we work together to kind of you know drive more work, you know. How can we, you know, build organically from what we have? You know, what can we offer that we're not thinking about? What are the problems? What are the issues that, you know, that we can brainstorm and, and try and come up with something to help, you know, help them, you know? Because right. at the end of the day, that's what businesses are looking for. They're looking for help with their business. Everybody's got a problem, right? We're there to solve yeah. the problem. Yeah, ab- yeah, and you're absolutely right. Communications, advertising, I imagine PR is the problem business. Nobody calls you when they have, you know, hey, we've got a million dollars and a case of beer. You want to come over? I'm going to get that phone call. Right. right? I didn't really understand. Yeah, I mean, I never really understood the, what the hell PR did, to be honest with you. I was yeah. Because like, I, I, you know, I worked on a project once, and they had the PR company come to the photo shoot and do their own stuff, and I was like, who are these people? What do they yeah. do? Like, they're hopping onto my photo shoot. Don't I own this photo shoot? Get off my turf, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, I never really is, quite understood that. Advertising is such a siloed culture, I found. After I left to go to the client side, it is just, you, you have this idea, you just sort of live in this in this little ecosystem, and you never, you sort of never go outside it. All agency people, they all generally tend to come from the same kind of world that and you go from place to agency to agency to agency and you stay in this cycle of repetition you see people from the last agency and the other one you go oh, you're here you're here whatever but like once i switch sides to become like in the pr world it really opens up like we have people here from the corporate world we have people from obviously the ad world a bunch of people in the creative department from leo burnett we got people from government um you know people who came from the um, Obama administration, like a real mix of people. So not just people who come in there, but we have people who, when they might leave or go other opportunities, so maybe they go back to the ad world. But generally, you just find people like going back to government. They go to comms departments at you know, big companies. They go in marketing departments, wherever they go. So it's a real nice mix of like just people from all over. You get all kind of voices in the, into the room and, you know, digital and, and whatnot. So it feels like a real vibrant place, whereas the ad world kind of can feel like it's just a bunch of ad people so and that's what i is one of the things i love about it you just think is you know like pr is like press releases and public relations and that's what they do but it's like mm-hmm. not at all what happens yeah that's a part of the business that's maybe you know less and less as you know in terms of percentage of the business i don't know i don't really get involved with that part but like mm-hmm. there's so much more that you know PR delivers in terms of like not just the the consulting part, the strategic part, or the yep. creative part. You know, delivering a lot of activations. I mean, for one client, we're actually we're actually doing God forbid, we're doing ads for them now. You know, that uh-huh. is not what PR agencies do. So historically, to call no, us even a PR agency is not even it's yeah. almost a misnomer. Well, you know, you know? Vader Media did uh, Vader Media did the Planters ad in the Super Bowl. And there's a lot, you know, a lot of people would have said VaynerMedia is, you know, they're a, they're a digital, social, not even digital, they're a social media shop. And, yeah, yeah, there's there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of people jumping the fences and getting into doing ads. And I, don't, and I think that's fine, actually. I think that you're better off. That's why we went to a consultative model with a creative executional tail, is because it, you're just, you're just, 
you have to kind of be solution agnostic, I think. You kind of can't be, you can't be sort of driven by a, by a media context like ad agencies are. Although, you know, just to bring it back around to what you were saying, sometimes an ad is what you need. Sometimes. Sometimes it is. It absolutely is. Sometimes it's a journal ad for a physician and that delivers what you need. Like this, he has a lot of the stuff around it, but like they're flipping through journals all the time trying to find information and data. And sometimes you just need that. You know, one client we're doing ads for and they're like, yeah, actually the consumer side, we're doing HCP form too also, but like we have a whole consumer part, but they're like, yeah, 20% of our mix is ads. The rest is online and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, social and native and all, Mm -hmm. you know, other channels that we're delivering through. So what about video? I mean, what do you think, where do you think videos fitting into all this for you guys? I mean, we certainly do a lot of videos. I've, I've done a bunch here. Um, you know, we've done patient profile videos and, and those sorts of things. Um, and I did those in the, you know, quote-unquote ad world too. So that depends on your – I think those depend on the relationship yeah. with the client and who kind of gets that work. Yep. Um, so because I've done it on both sides. But um, I love video work. I love telling a story outside of outside of like the confines of you know you know uh, four walls of an ad or four walls yeah. of like a print piece or whatever that might be. Being able to tell a story that's got a lot of emotion, it uses all your senses aside from taste. Um, maybe not touch. Uh, maybe a couple. Depends. Not I hear that. I hear they're working on that. I hear there's uh, something's going to come out. <laughs> Facebook's working on that. Vision. <laughs> I remember. Remember that yeah, little but, little waters action. Yeah, well, um, no, it's true. I, and I think I think actually, just to praise video a little bit, I, I think it's an extremely robust medium. I, I think of all of it, uh, that that video is the it's the cockroach of of channels. It's it's been around since TV first came out, or even before that, right? It's been around since the the teens and nineteen twenties, um, and I think it's going to be with us. Well, for for as long as you and I are still working in this business, anyway. Well, you look at look at you know channels like YouTube. I mean, oh yeah, they're, ma- they're massive, and you know, the, the people drop videos on there that get five views and then get two billion views. I mean, yeah, you know, we we have we have long form videos on there, and of course, to get to the long form, you need like a short cut down video that runs you know inside Facebook or wherever it runs mm-hmm. to get people to click on it and find out you know what it's all about. So mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many channels and pathways to get there again through whether it's like on a youtube type channel or whether it's on our own microsite or you know channel or whatever that might be but it's all it's all everywhere yeah like the, the key is not just the video itself but like it, of course what the content is but how do you get people to see that content how are you going to drive them there you know i think not to not to totally blow smoke but i think that you know pr firms i mean that's what they're all about i mean they're all about publicity and getting people to, you know, getting people to a uh, channel so that they can absorb content. At least that's what it looks like to me from the outside. Um, I so. would say that's that's a true assessment. How do you get people there? How do you get them not just there? That's mm-hmm. critical. You want them to see it, but how do you get them to engage with it? You know, what's the authentic yeah. connection for them? What do they do after they see it? You know, yep. are they going to their doctor to talk to somebody? Are they clicking mm-hmm. on somewhere to go to a website and find out more information? Are they opening up, you know, a conversation with, you know, you know, some sort of platform with other 
other patients or you know human beings on to share their stories or whatever that is. But because mm-hmm. the the end of the, the end all be all is not necessarily the video itself. That could just be the start, you know. So. I mean, we're really into responsive campaigns. You know, what we like to do is we like to set up a campaign so that it teaches us about the people who are consuming it as as it promotes the product. I mean, is that something you guys? So, I mean, do you build your creative so that it's responsive, or do you? There's A/B testing done. Um, probably less so from my perspective. How much we that I personally have seen a lot of mm-hmm. A/B testing. I know it happens. I know it happens more, probably more on consumer brands when they're pushing in a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's we are going to be doing some A/B testing with again another one of our clients who's doing more consumer stuff. So. Yep. I think it can work anywhere you've got a segment, though. I mean, it works all the time in physician advertising because you've got, you know, you you have your early adapters, you have your, you know, pick your segment, and they often respond to I Yes, I, I, I think the data is important and A-B testing mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, but uh-huh. it's like, it just feels like it pulls a lot of the emotion out of it, you know? I know yeah, your A-B no, test can have emotion built in, but it, like, just feels so clinical to me, you know? Maybe that's heresy. I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not saying I don't believe in it. I just say I'm just saying like, where's like the the you know you walk in there with a you know gut. You know I'm gonna, I feel like this is just going to be right. You know. As a creative, I think you want to believe that you're making a connection with the person who's viewing the stuff that you make. I, I mean, that's why I got into it. I'm sure that's why you got into it. And it's it's the thing I don't like about the ad singularity is exactly what you say. I mean. It's very well said it feels very clinical and and at a certain point you know when you really listen to the data when the when the data guys get really you know get on a roll it begins to sound as though we're all just going to be you know packets of data and and we're going to be sent text messages like saying hey those boots that you really like they're on sale now at cabela's and you're going to be like i didn't even i didn't even know i was into what you know, right? And it won't be. I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. Right, it'll be a text message with just pure information in it, as opposed to anything with any kind of engaging um, hook, for lack of a better. Lack of a better right, term. you want you want. I feel like if you're going to do that and you want that text message message, then bring in some of the emotion that I that I felt when I originally saw that or was thinking about that as a decision. You know, bring that back in, too, to be like, remember when you felt this way? Obviously, they don't know how you're feeling, but, you know, maybe. Um, right. You can feel that way again. You know, I don't know. I just feel like you could just yeah. drill it remember. down to, like, once you looked at this for this product and now it's for sale, like, okay, right. but I'm not really interested anymore. At that point, you're just, like, you know, buckshot at me. Right. Well, I also think that eventually people – the the thing I think about the ad singularity is that eventually once people – understand what consumers want and they can sort of triangulate you down to a very tight message focus, then everybody will be doing that and and creative may paradoxically become even more important because you'll be getting three text messages, one from Cabela's, one from REI, Mm -hmm. and one from, you know, I don't know, Sears. No, you won't be getting a text message from Sears. You know what I mean. You'll be getting a text message from, you know, a general merchandiser. And, um, and, You'll have to decide between the three, and you and you may not decide based purely on um, you may not decide based purely on uh, on data on data. This is very interesting, but we have gotten way off the outline that I prepared for this interview. So um, I'm gonna snap a headlock Reel on you, back in. drag Reel you back, back over in, here. 
I'm going to drag it back over here to the center line. So I guess getting back to the day-to-day, I mean, one of the things Aletta really took the agencies to task for, and having lived it, you and I both know this is true, the brutal pace of life, the pay, which is okay, but, you know, is actually not, you know, not that great. Um, better, than, better than digging ditches. It's way better yeah. than digging ditches. That's right. It's so better I, than digging my ditches. My bad answer. That's right. Well, no, it is. But, I mean, when you think of somebody who's starting out in a career, you know, maybe, you know, I guess the, let me back up a second. I want to kind of get at the life that you lead now and how it compares to the ad world. And, you know, and I want to ask that question in the broadest possible way from like, you know, how you see your future to what your day-to-day life is like to, you know, what's it like leaving in Chicago and not being stuck in New York in the, in the brutal, you know, habit trail um, of the New York agency world. Chicago is a great city to live in. You know, my day from um, when I arrive to when I leave is not as, like, crazy and, you know, snap, snap, hustle, bustle, like, get this out, get this out. I mean, there, yeah, there are days like that. The ad world seems to, like, thrive on that more than what I can see in the PR world. Like, yeah. I leave it a decent hour. Uh-huh. Like, if I leave it, like, 6.30, I look around on the creative floor, and it's like maybe two other people are there, and I'm like, whoa, wow. I'm, like, the last person to leave here. Like, and I don't know if it's a PR thing, if it's a Chicago thing, it's a mix of both of them, but it's not like, you know, back in the early days of, I'm going to point them out, CDM. Oh, um, yeah. It was like... Half oh. a day, you know, head to the elevator at, you know, 8 o'clock at night and be like, hey, half a day? You yeah. Know, kind of thing. It's like, dude, seriously? Because I've been slaving all day and all weekend and I'm still here. You know, I'm just going to go home and do work from home, you know. Um, yeah. It's not like that at all. Um, so in terms of the quality of life, way better quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about the career path? I mean, you feel like, just relatively speaking, do you feel like moving from New York to Chicago or being in PR versus advertising, how's that affected you know, how do you think that's going to run for the balance of your career? I, I look, the, one of the reasons, and this gets back to one of your first questions, one of the reasons why I came out here is I saw this as a place where I could round out my career, not as another mm-hmm. place where I could go four or five years and be like, okay, what's what's the next place on the horizon? You know what I mean? Like, Because in a certain age, I don't want to age myself too much, but at a certain age, it's not like I need to go out, go out every night and like party with everyone and, you know, you know, and come back at three in the morning. It's like, right. hey, I got kids and I got a home and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. like, you just kind of want a bit of a quality of life, a li- little bit of like, you know, it's not like you're cakewalking to the end. I work hard and, um, give, no, give, of you know, course not. I know what do, you mean. Do, do great work, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I don't want to kill myself. You know, that's an artifact you of know? our, of our history is the, you know, um, I think is being creatives in New York during, during our, 20s and 30s and 40s was that you just you I, I know burned exactly what you're you feeling out. right now you're, you're burned out and you're also you also feel guilty for standing up and saying hey you know I, I'd like to potentially have a little bit of a life right when I leave and then you place. get the and then you get the oh so you're really not vested in this are you? right you exactly know, you're not, not into this you. well that's all now right. that you know that, that, I, I blame, I lay that squarely at the door of the holding companies. The, those, they turned advertising into a sweated industry because they had to keep pulling money out to, to you know, pay the, pay the uh, stockholders. And um, They are banks, aren't they? They are, uh, you that's know, exactly. Edelman, Edelman is privately owned. Yep. Um, so they, 
definitely answer. They definitely answer to a you know a, a higher authority to use a Hebrew, Hebrew national. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's that's a big deal for all the young creatives out there. I mean, definitely uh, look askance at the um, look askance at holding company owned advertising and and other agencies because they're gonna. I mean, they they will pull the money out, and a lot of times, what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to pull it out of you. Well, I've seen it happen. No I've fun. had it happen to me. Look, right, you know, I got, I've been let I've been let go. Like, mm-hmm. if you know, when it first happened, it was shameful, and now it's like you know, it kind of happens to everybody. Like, yeah, it, it does. You, you, you're a creative director somewhere, and one day you're the you know you're the cream of the crop, and the next day it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we found yeah, somebody we don't to do need it you anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So Thanks for the, who's the most right. expensive person in the creative department? Oh, and and again, back to your your question, which was like, I I saw PR and Edelman as the future for mm-hmm. me, not and and not just for me, as where the industry is going. Yeah, you know, and not yeah. just like creating right. ads and not just doing press releases, but like being holistic around mm-hmm. thinking about what can everything be from yep. strategy to you know all the sort of PRs, you know, quote-unquote activations and initi- initiatives and, and digital, but, like, we do it. We do ads, too. We can do everything, you know, yeah. so... Well, it's, I, I, I love what you said earlier, which was, so. you know, advertising. The, the ad is... The ad is really this weird abstraction that, I don't know, has... It's not... It's... it's, it's you know, you don't remember, for people who are listening to this who have not been creatives, when you start out as a young creative, at least when you did when Michael and I were starting out, the ad was everything. That's always that's all we spent any time thinking about. You know, when we had like a pitch or something, I mean, we'd stay late, we'd work really hard on it, and it was everything. It meant everything to your career. If you could do a good ad, it was everything, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, was, putting that down, putting it on the wall and having yeah. like... 50 different ads on the wall. Yeah, they and, come down. You know, I remember one meeting. I remember one meeting. So everybody was in the room, and there was it was literally four walls were covered with ads. And, yep. and the head creator was like, all right, everybody leave. we got to talk, you know, amongst the higher-ups. Yep. Everybody left. Yeah, and you just and sat there. came I'm, back in. I think I was in that came meeting. came back in. All those, like, beautiful ads that were on the wall, like Photoshop, back in the early days of Photoshop when it was barely layers, <laughs> all, you know, all taken down, you know, burned ashes in the corner, you know, yep. and one ad happened to be my, my and my partner's ad at the time oh. left on the wall. It was a sketch. Yep. Good feeling, but it was all about the ad. It was all about like, what's the visual? What's the idea? You know, what's mm-hmm. that crystallized, you know, visualization and the, the whole, even it could be, it could be a line. What's that thing? You know? Yeah. So it's more than that. Now. Oh, it's we, like, we built that, a you're right. That's the channel. We do. Um, Go ahead. We do find ourselves sometimes in these situations where we get to see the work from agencies, mm-hmm. and I see lots of PR, PR in quotes, ideas on there. Like, mm-hmm. how can this come to life? And you see kind of activations. Yep. You go, hey, they're coming at it from the other way, and we're coming at it from this way. And at one yep. point, we're all going to just bust heads in the middle, middle and have a rumble, yep. and, and exactly. you know, figure out who's who's the winner. You know, of course, I'm a pretty good arm wrestler, so you know. Let's get back to the outline. And this is just this is kind of a gimmicky question, but whatever. Tell me what you think. What are your top three trends of the last two years in healthcare advertising? Um, great. Well, uh, we're talking a lot about you know healthcare advertising and whatnot. Advertising is that push medium 
where you know Edelman were more focused on pulling people, like the idea of meeting them where they are. So, mm-hmm. and thinking about this, I guess you know a, a huge trend which we all know about, um, and a big mega trend is digital, right? Like think about digital is like seems pretty obvious now, but. Um, in healthcare, it just seems like it's been taking forever for digital to like happen. Um, yeah. I'm not sure why the long uptake in healthcare. Maybe it's just healthcare companies are more you know conservative then, or the regulatory environment. But in consumer, it's just all over the place when you think about that. Oh yeah. But like yeah. in terms of yeah. So areas like you know search engine optimization things like that are have been happening but much more emerging would be kind of like voice driven search engine things like alexa and whatnot sure. and that that kind of ilk things like and this again dealing with a mega trend so maybe within this there's multiple things that can search engine but like ideas of apps and things like that um we developed an app here um which helped communication between doctors and patients um, mm-hmm. It became much more of a PR activation, so media picked it up and became really big for um, this, this smaller company, which had a very small share of voice and was able to get a lot of media attention for them. Um, things like, again, meeting them where they are. They're online and trying to find information like, boom, chatbots are right there. Mm-hmm. Like you can immediately you know, ask questions and have them answered. Um, texting program, again, we developed a texting program for, for one of our um, clients that was in office right there we had text x you know to be engaged in this and had multiple peers of that to continue mm-hmm. that texting program thinking about again digital like the apple watch you know like again this may not be necessarily so much marketing but like digital trend of like and maybe more the tip of the spear right. the idea that they have this the heart monitor you know that's like the leading edge of stuff they're trying to get involved and then maybe working off of continuing with digital but like a little bit separate from some of this stuff is the idea of content marketing um like again delivering engaging patient stories and really gives them a chance to um to really engage with patients you know pharmaceutical companies in a real authentic way um and again same kind of area that, that social uh, media, again, continuing to engage in that authentic conversation, building relationships. We know that people online, patient to patient, are having these conversations, but how can pharmaceutical companies engage with that, right. engage in that conversation and yeah, that feels like the whole information and content? What's that? I was going to say that feels like the holy grail in a lot of ways, and they've been trying to crack that nut for a while, and hopefully they, hopefully, um, they'll get there well, eventually. That's, that's really hard to do because, well, you know, there's a lot of, of regulation around that. And, you know, as soon as a patient says something about a side effect, it's boom, it triggers something which, yeah, you, know, exactly right. you know, you can't talk about or you have to, you know, have other information or you have to pull down or, you know, so how to have those authentic conversations with stuff you can actually say, you know. So mm-hmm. a lot of them seem, like I was saying, a lot of them are digital, you know, digital techniques and digital um avenues but that seems to be the broader megatrend that's where everybody's going so i know i'm interviewing you but just in order to just to riff on it a little bit um i think telemedicine is really interesting area you put the um the equipment for telemedicine in a retail environment so that you're you know kind of like what theranos was going to do with their blood testing machines or you know the minute clinics but instead of having an actual doc in the minute clinic it's uh, uh, telemedicine minute clinic in wherever, 
I think that's a, that's a right. thing that's going on too. Just riffing off your. It's interesting point. you mentioned telemedicine. It's something that kind of popped in my head because it wasn't marketing related. I didn't say it, but like if yeah. you think about like telemedicine, if you're having a conversation with your doctor, you know, on the phone, and they say, you know, whatever, you know, I'm going to write your script for X, Y, and Z might want to check it out. Here's a link to it. They send it to you immediately. You click on the link and you check it out. And right. there could be some delivery mechanism from sure. some sort of marketing materials right then and there. So mm -hmm. it's like of the moment, again, leaving them where they are. Like especially, yeah, especially primary care. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of primary care stuff that can get knocked out, my, is my impression, from, with, with telemedicine. So you're, well, Tamiflu was doing this for a while, but I, it, it was a little bit, it, they, I don't know, it didn't really quite work for them, but, you know, you get the diagnosis, and uh, then you can sort of put them into a fulfillment pathway and, and close the loop between the patient, the physician visit, and then the delivery of whatever it is, service or product that you're offering. I thought it was interesting, and um, please forgive me for interviewing myself on your podcast. <laughs> your podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Well, please forgive me for spouting off for so long, but... I wish there was a lot more areas that were beyond digital. So many traditional areas have been tapped and tapped and tapped. Like, yeah. You know, well, but everything and, seems to be leading back to digital or starting from digital or leading to digital or some way for us to, in, you know, to engage with an audience. And that's just where they are. I mean, look at mobiles. Like, so many, you know, look where Facebook was a bunch of years ago. And they're like, how's Facebook going to, like, deal with mobile? And now, like, all that conversation is mobile, you know. So. Well, and, and practically speaking, almost nobody pays the same price for anything in the healthcare system. That's, no. one, of the, that's one of the issues. But here's the gimmicky mm. question number two. What's over that no one knows is over yet? I would. What's over that we haven't really recognized it's yeah. over? What's I would a say dead man working as a standalone person in this industry. Mm. And I guess what I mean by that is like, a creative is just a creative, or an account person is just an account person, or a planner is just a planner. Like, you huh. can't just be, like, one of those things. Um, yes, we all come with our perspective on it. I'm, a, you know, a, um, um, an art director by trade, but I'm not an art director. You know, my wife is like, well, you do, you do, you know, you're an art director. I'm like, yeah, I'm a kind of a creative director. I like, I, yeah. I come up with lines, I come up with thinking and strategy and stuff, yep. but yeah, you, but you're an art director. I'm like, no, I'm getting into this big like, discussion about whether I'm an art director or not. Like, yes, oh. I'm an art director. I can work on Photoshop. I can sure. look up images. I can do photo shoots and all that, but like, I'm more than just that, you know? Otherwise, yeah. they could just hire, you know, an art guy to do that. You know, right. they don't need me. So, last gimmicky question. What's on the horizon that no one knows is a big deal yet? Think about this uh, podcast you can get for free now, right? Right. You used to be able to get music passed around for free. Yep. There's going to be a day when there is someone who owns a channel of podcasts that's going to be a subscription service. Mm -hmm. It's not happened yet. Yep. But somewhere down the line, it is going to happen. They're going to aggregate a bunch of podcasts. You pay a subscription mm -hmm. and you get access to yep. all the podcasts. It's going to be like the Netflix of podcasts or something like that. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. All that the would be cool actually, ones are on that, you know. Because monetization is a real challenge. I mean, that's a whole that's a whole other thing. We don't really have time to get into that right now. But yeah, well, monetization I mean, of content. Podcasts, yeah, you got to figure out a way know, to pay for podcasts by you know mobituaries or you know mm -hmm. any of these podcasts have advertising on it, right? They're tied somewhere else. Like yeah. that's the really cool podcast. No. It doesn't have advertising. It's great content. People don't want to listen to ads, and no. are willing to pay for that. 
That's so. the biggest. That's the biggest issue I think right now. The very biggest issue, and I think even though Frenemies was not a great book, I think that the the great question it asked was, what happens to media? And all of our culture is created by media these days, like it or not. What happens to media, and by extension our culture, when advertising isn't working anymore and the stream of revenue from advertising isn't working anymore? How are you going to sustain the, the next great cultural innovator if, if they can't get paid somehow? And I, that's a pretty that's right. a really interesting idea, like aggregating podcasts, because that would be a way for people to, you know, the subscription model. That would be a way for people to support excellence without, you know, maybe necessarily putting up with you know traditional advertising twenty minutes out of every. Right. Hour. Well, how do you how do you get differentiated in the marketplace? <laughs> How's how does any of that's like? If I want if I want to watch, you know. Uh, Game of Thrones, I got to pay extra for it. If I want to watch the special, right. you know, whatever That's on right. Netflix, I got to pay. If I want to watch, you know, um, you know, uh, Mrs. Maisel, I got to pay extra for it. Like right. this stuff that's really cool, really cool and interesting and innovative. It's like it's costs a little extra, but like, hey, I don't mind doing that because like I get, I get, you know, other free content on, you know, Amazon Prime, or I get my deliveries for free. So it comes with other stuff. Right. Um, so I, you know, that that model of like subscription model is i mean it's not the next wave it is the wave it's happening now it's all over the place from microsoft to adobe to you name it subscription model you know maybe someday there'll be a delivery food delivery service as a subscription model i don't know Mm -hmm. you know right no it could be i mean actually you could it's a short i mean it's a short distance from subscribe and save to give us your basic grocery list and we'll show up at your house with it. Or, you know, I don't know, or blue apron foods in a lot of ways was almost there. It just, it was, it wasn't prepared food. It was food ready to be prepared. But anyway, and blue apron was all over the podcast world for, for a while. And they, they might still be around, but they were like for a while. I mean, they sponsored cereal, they sponsored cereal, the podcast. You know, really? Uh, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were everywhere. They were everywhere. All us podcast nerds were like, "All right, enough with the blue apron. I get it. I can get the." F- yeah. I get it. I get it. How's Thank that you. working for them? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a good question because actually, podcasting. If you ask me, podcasting is useful as sort of content marketing. I don't know that it's super useful as unless you're like a Joe Rogan experience. I don't know that it's going to be super useful as mass advertising. I don't think you can take a mass um, a mass format like a read in ad. And expect it to work on a podcast unless that podcast has, you know, is one of the 10 podcasts that is so widely listened to that you get a mass advertising effect. But if I were to do like if I were to read, (laughs) if I were to read like a Blue Apron ad right now, I mean, that would I would have like zero effect, not just because of lack of reach and frequency, but also it's just I, I just don't think the format makes sense necessarily in all cases. By the way, just yeah. we're talking about Blue Apron. It's selling yeah. for ninety-eight cents on the stock exchange. I'm just oh no way. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, sorry, how's Blue that Apron. working? Yeah, how you? How, how's Guess that working? Guess they won't be advertising you? on your show. <laughs> maybe, well, maybe maybe I'll take some warrants. You know, take some let's take some stock warrants from Blue Apron and let them advertise them. <laughs> oh, for a moonshot. Um, you never know. You never know. Exactly. Um, so. I had a, a quote I wanted to, to rea- you to react to, and um, so this is it. So, Go for it. 
Oletta says in the book that advertising is increasingly being run by the leftovers. And what he means by that is there's this kind of osmotic effect where, you know, higher salaries, better lifestyles, basically all the things we're, you know, talking about, have pulled out all of the top talent or is pulling the really talented people out of advertising. And advertising these days is just, um, like I said, run by the leftovers. What's your reaction to that? Um, yeah, I mean, advertising is, well, you talked a little bit about holding company and all that. They're mm-hmm. just sort of these machines that run and you be, you're a art director or a writer or a planner or whatever inside this giant machine churning out stuff. And then when you lose a piece of business, you don't need those cogs anymore and you pull those mm-hmm. cogs out. So you become like this just someone who's executing stuff versus you know a, a, a deep thinking person of, of course i don't want to blanket everyone in advertising is yeah. just a cog in a wheel there's no. definitely you know there are plenty of share of people who do strategic thinking um, i'll go out on a limb and say you know i'd say that my experience as a freelancer before i before i went to concentric was very much as a cog in a wheel and and low down on the totem mm-hmm. pole you know when you and i first started oh, yeah. working together i mean you are a cog in they don't even really bother to hide it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I had similar experience from freelance. Um, but at the, at the time, I didn't mind that. Like, I, I no. had a much bigger ego I, before it started. I'm like, I'm this person. I'm that person. You're freelance. All of a sudden, you're like, you're yeah. just like a guy coming in to do a job. But right. at the same time, you get to go home and sleep at night, you know? Yep. So I don't have to worry about all that, that stuff. Uh, and then, of course... When you go home and sleep at night, you don't have to worry about it. You think, like, where's my life leading? I want something to aspire to. And then you go back into the world again, you know. So it's yeah, like this yeah. constant wheel. I mean, there are so many people here at Edelman who've left the ad world and come here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what all the reasons are. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my assumption is their rationale is that um, they were looking for something more. They saw a bigger, grander vision, and mm-hmm. they wanted to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um I knew that's what I came here for, you mm-hmm. know, and I saw I saw what I thought was the larger future in, you know, marketing. Like, what is that blend of stuff, that secret sauce that kind of uh, kind of comes with a place? And I, you know, I was looking for that, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a pretty deep question. You're just feeling like you know the leftovers. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to call anybody a leftover necessarily. Um, I, th- I thought it was a really brutal quote, which is why I thought I'd, I'd get your reaction to. Yeah, it is a bit of a brutal a, quote. To me, when I hear that quote, I think to myself, man, how far advertising has fallen. I mean, when you look right. at when you look at Mad Men, you know, you I'm look still at thinking Ma- that, yeah. and you look at the delta between Mad Men and today. It's it's stunning. All you can do is just sit there in silence and reevaluate the life choices you've made. And right. And yeah. that's uh, that to me is that to me is the brutality of that that brutality of that quote. And and you're totally right. I I, I think the what that was one of the things that made me kind of mad at that quote was you know, I don't want to be I don't want to be like sappy and say nobody's a leftover because, you know, you know, some, let's face it, some people are either not talented or not focused or whatever, and they're not that good. They're just not that good. They should be doing something else, like being CPAs mm-hmm. or lawyers or something. But sure. um, 
the thing that alarmed me, the thing that alarms me about advertising these days is the lack of quality of life and the and the relatively low pay for the people that actually make the ads. You've become a creative sort of become the and maybe that's for the leftovers, maybe his angle is thinking that, has become the cog in the wheel, become the turn this out for me, and if you won't do it, I'll get someone else to do it, and maybe I'll even pay a little bit less for it. You know, maybe I'll get a junior to do it and teach them how to do it so eventually they become a senior and then get another junior to do it. So it's almost like he's made up of people who are there doing the job, but, you know, and everybody's replaceable at the end of the day, but, like, Some people are more replaceable than other people. Well, you and, don't want to be you know. so brutally exploitative. You know, I, I think that I think there is a important there are important differences between different industries, and uh, you know, you don't want to be so brutally exploitative that um, you're just running through people because then it becomes a question of competitiveness. And I think that's what's so smart about the about the questions that were asked in frenemies and and are kind of encapsulated in that quote by being run by the leftovers. You know, with low pay, with you know. A very uncertain career ladder with, you know, a, uh, a declining level of importance to clients. You know, like you don't advertising agencies. I don't. I didn't. I don't see them often in the C-suite. You know, you don't. You don't see them. You know, pure ad agencies don't seem to make their way up to the board of directors anymore. At least when I was client side, right. you never saw them mm-hmm. above the director level. You never saw them, and mostly you saw them below the director level. And you see the brand managers. Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, day to day. No. But you know, when you wanna, when you want to, um, when you want to build a relationship with a company, when you really want to solve big problems, um, you do need a certain amount of face time with the people who deal with the big problems. Yeah, and I and and that's certainly where you know uh, Edmund plays a role when you talk about like crisis management or whatnot. That's not at a brand level. That's at senior management yeah. level. Like what happens exactly. when you know. Whatever issue it might be, right. um, you know who do they come to? Who are they talking yeah. to? Because you're not talking about a brand issue; you're talking about much more of a, a higher level of thought. So. Well, there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, my friend and colleague Michael Leopold. I really enjoyed having him on the podcast, and I think this is not the last time you've heard from him because he has a lot of interesting things to say that we couldn't put in this week's podcast. But uh, like I said, look for him months to come. All right. That's it for Study Hall for this month. I have been Chris Rungi, and we'll see you next time. Study Hall is sponsored by Douglas and Rungi. Henry Pelosi did the music. Thanks again for listening.